Welcome back. This is Sam. And this is Corrine, and we are two Octucks. So this week's episode, we're going to be focusing on a benign heme topic, which will be immune thrombocytopenia purpura, also known as ITP for the rest of this episode. Um, We're going to go into all the important details on the causes, the mechanism, the diagnosis, and the treatment of ITP. And I think this is a nice, succinct um, topic for us to go over, something that's highly testable and something that we really see a lot on the consult services. So you will be called about ITP and you will definitely be treating it within your fellowship. Agreed. I I feel like every single time I was on hematology consults, we had at least one case of ITP. And so start us off, what is ITP? So at its simplest, ITP is the destruction of platelets, and this is due to antibodies that bind to platelet surface. This leads to the activation of those platelets and then the splenic or hepatic clearance of the platelets. The targets of the antibodies on the surface of each platelet can be things like anti-GP2B or anti-GP1B slash 9. And so those are the things that they can ask about, and they do like to ask about those nitty-gritty targets on the hematology boards because they're well-established. Yeah, they definitely like to ask. So what are causes of ITP? The most common cause of ITP is actually idiopathic, and that's seen in about 80% of cases that are diagnosed. Other things that can cause or, you know, entice ITP to start can be things like viral illnesses or even immunizations, and that can trigger things one to three weeks um, after it can cause acute ITP. Secondary causes of ITP can also include things like medications, um, antiphospholipid syndrome, CLL can actually, that can be the presenting symptom of CLL viruses such as HIV, hepatitis C, bacterial infections like H. pylori, lupus, thyroiditis, and also von Willebrand's disease type 2B can cause ITP. Mm -hmm. And we'll we'll go over more on this von Willebrand in a future episode, but definitely important to remember that 2B with ITP. And so who gets ITP? anyone. So ITP is one of the most common acquired blood conditions. It's also the most common autoimmune disorder affecting the blood in adult hematology. There is a peak of ITP in childhood, which we won't go into a lot of details about, but then again, we see it in the adult population, which is where we truly do see it. And in adults, there's a female predominance. So just like we talk about any autoimmune condition, there is a more um, predominance in females over males, typically a three to one ratio. And what is the clinical presentation of ITP? Definitely. So patients can actually be asymptomatic if their platelets are greater than 30,000. So they might not even know about it and they get checked at their primary care doctor or maybe an OB appointment and they see platelets um, that are low. If they're greater than 30,000, patients may have no signs or symptoms. If platelets are lower and there is a clinical presentation, it can be things like petechiae, so those pinpoint um, papules on the legs. You can have purpura, which are a little bit larger, and you can also have mucocutaneous bleeds. So these are things like epistaxis, hematuria, GI bleeding, and in women, very heavy menses. Yeah. And we tell patients once they're eventually diagnosed to monitor for those symptoms and to get a CBC if they have any of those symptoms. And so how do we diagnose ITP? 
So ITP is actually a diagnosis of exclusion. So the bulk of what we send to diagnose ITP is actually ruling out other cause of the thrombocytopenia. So at its core, we have our CBC, we have our retic count. We're going to check for inflammation with ESR, LDH, check for hemolysis with a Coombs test, text thyroid function because thyroid dysfunction can cause thrombocytopenia. So get the TSH, check for kappa lambda light chains. So you're trying to rule out any other causes, check viral infections like hepatitis C, HIV, check for lupus, check for H. pylori, and also check flow cytometry for a clonal population. So was this actually because the patient has undiagnosed CLL or another clonal population? Labs for ITP are very different than TTP, HUS, and DIC. And so ITP labs have normal PTs, normal PTT, negative D-dimers, all they have is low platelets. On our blood smear, we're going to be showing thrombocytopenia, and we look at the blood smear to rule out pseudothrombocytopenia, or the clumping of the platelets. And what you'll also see is normal to large platelets. If you get very nitty-gritty and you're an academic institution, you can actually see IgG or IgM on the platelets, which leads to destruction. And, And if we get a bone marrow biopsy... We really only need a bone marrow biopsy if there's another cell line that's low, so anemia or cytopenia like neutropenia, um, or if the patient is over 60 years old, if a patient has splenomegaly, or if the platelets aren't improving with treatment for ITP. That's the only times that we need to get a bone marrow. And what that bone marrow will show is normal megakaryocytes. So it's truly peripheral destruction of these platelets. Yeah, absolutely. If you're a medical student or a resident on your hematology rotation and you have a suspected ITP case, listen to this and you can really impress your attending with the diagnostic workup for ITP. And so how do we treat ITP? So ITP in children, again, I'm not going to talk a lot about this because we're not pediatric hematologists, but it's usually self-limiting. And so you can monitor a lot of these patients or be very conservative and treat them with steroids. In the adult cases of ITP, these cases, these courses can be persistent. There can be relapses in the ITP. We typically can observe patients if their platelets are greater than 30,000 and they're not having any symptoms. But if their platelets are less than 30,000 or they're having bleeding, the primary treatment is geared towards eliminating the antibodies that are destroying the platelets. So that's our tried and true steroid prednisone, one milligram per kilogram with a very slow taper over the course of months. You can also utilize IVIG, which is given at one gram per kilogram for two to three days. And if a patient is bleeding, we can up our steroids with methylprednisolone, which is one gram IV for two to three days. And we can add IVIG on together. Secondary treatments for ITP can include thrombopoietin analogs. And so what we're trying to do is push out more platelets to flood those antibodies in the destruction. Our thrombopoietin analogs are romoplostim, L-thrombopeg, and avathrombopeg. We can try to reduce the antibodies with anti-CD20 therapy, such as rituximab. And we can also consider splenectomy, so stopping the clearance of these platelets at, at its core. Third line treatment where there's further immunosuppressive drugs, which can be like azathioprine, anti-D antigen therapies, cytoxin plus prednisone. We can historically try danazole. And then there's also the SYK or SICK inhibitor. And so SICK plays a role in adaptive immune systems and it mediates the signals between macrophages, neutrophils, mast cells, and B cells. So along that immune system. And in ITP, we see that inhibition of SYK reduces the antibody mediated 
associated destruction. So that is a third line treatment we can try. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely commit to memory the first line steroids and and IVIG. Um, I think you can also do four days of dexamethasone yep. um, for for ITP in the first line setting. Um, and so that may lead to less toxicities of long-term steroids. And then the second line, you know, those thrombopoietin analogs, like Sam mentioned. Um, and then remember for romiplastin, the TPO mimetic, those can increase your risk of VTE. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also have rituximab, which can be considered. And I know we certainly gave that to many, many patients with ITP when I was in fellowship. Um, and then rarely, you know, we would consider splenectomy depending on the circumstance. Agreed. And Fall so, out of favor. yeah, exactly. And then third line, you can go to your further immunosuppressives. And so wonderful overview. What are our key takeaways for ITP? So this is a nice short episode for you guys. So at its core, ITP is the destruction of platelet secondary to antibodies. Those antibodies can be targeting um, GP2B or GP1B. Um, the diagnosis of ITP is truly a diagnosis of exclusion. So you need to be sure that you rule out any other causes of thrombocytopenia. And once you have done so, we can safely call it ITP. Bone marrow biopsies for ITP are only needed if a patient is older than 60, if there's additional cytopenias, if a patient is not responding to standard first-line treatment, or if they have splenomegaly. So that's when we need to get a bone marrow in ITP. Primary treatment for ITP, we usually get started if platelets are less than 30,000 or patients are bleeding, and we utilize steroids with or without IVIG. Secondary treatments can include the thrombopoietin analogs, rituximab, and what's fallen out of favor is splenectomy. What we typically did in my fellowship was we started them on the burst of steroids for about four days, and we also considered adding the rituximab because rituximab would take a lot of time to kick in versus the steroids work pretty darn quick. Mm -hmm. So we need to remind ourselves that in the adult population with ITP, there is the risk of um, a long course and relapses within their course. Yeah, absolutely. I think we did the same. We would often do the dexamethasone for four days. And then if the patient was really, you know, bleeding or there was issues, we would add the IVIG. And then we would often consider the rituximab early on um, to have a prolonged response. And so as always, thank you for listening. Good luck with your studying. And please feel free to reach out to us if you have any corrections or comments on our Instagram or our Twitter, which is 2.onc.docs. Awesome. You guys have a great week. We're getting closer to boards. Um, So study, study, and we'll, we'll see you next Monday.